I just watched the Night Stalker documentaries, dude. You can't be saying that. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. I'm doing everything I can. And stop calling me Shirley. The center has to be at least three times bigger than this. All right, Sincerely Unqualified. I'm Kevin. That's Winnie. Today, we told you we were going to do Talladega Nights, and we are blessing you with a double episode. We you guys like it? it? Yeah, we, we did mention it. Just Not sure if people actually really like it, but we're doing it. <laughs> we haven't heard yet. We're doing the double. Give you the double. That's what we're doing. Yeah, this is a discount double check right here. We're doing uh, Talladega uh, Nights just as won. long just won. He just won. He came out hot doing the discount double check down to Step Brothers and Talladega Nights. We're giving you a little Will Ferrell, John C. Riley super pack here. Adam McKay, the, yep. the trio. It makes sense to talk about both of them. One came right after the other. One actually, this might, we're not going to spoil the flick or the inexclusive exclusive. Not spoiling an exclusive exclusive, but you know, that maybe they had to do with each other. They, they came about yeah. at similar times. I think we're, you know, we're, we're good at not spoiling our own facts, but when it comes to the actual plots <laughs> and everything in the movie, we literally just spoil the entire thing. So it's good to well, a little bit back. Right. Every, every movie we do, you should have seen already, probably. Yeah. At least at this point. Maybe if, if whatever, for whatever reason, we venture into new movies, like when, when we talked about a Barat 2, or if we do like Coming to America. Which, did you see that, by the way? Did, did you hear that? Barat yeah, you rolled still off the tongue. Right. Still not. No. Right. no. No, it's not. It's Borat. 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 Brat. I'm not going to get back into this. I can't. <laughs> Let's not do it. Before <laughs> we get started, though, anything I, anything happened this week? What do you What do you want to tell the people about? Uh, you know, just a little COVID scare, but that happens in our world. So we're all good. Yeah. Everything is all set. You know, we're, You're good. Uh, I'm You're good, good personally. Yeah. When I mean, he's good. I'm good. You will hear no sniffles on my end. We're, we're powering through. But really, everything's been good, you know, watching some watching some sports with nothing on the line, you know, don't have to worry. It's kind of nice getting through the day. No anxiety. Is it nice? Like, is it nice? No. Or is it like, damn, I really wish. Okay. My team was in. So it's like that meme of the guy who's got the, the smiling face in front of the crying face. So it's like he's holding up the smiling face ah, mask, oh, yeah, behind yeah. it. There's the tears. That's me. So I'm that's me in real life right now watching these games. Otherwise, yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. That's why your team should have went out of contention earlier. So mm-hmm. by the time week 17 rolled around, I was like, whatever. Look, but rebuilding year, rebuilding year. I've been saying it for 10 years. Rebuilding year. Actually, not yeah. 10. We maybe maybe the Eagles will too. So yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe on my end, honestly, I got out to the I'll say like a true nature open air hike for the first time wow. since the summer it felt so nice i got out today the uh the, the fitness instructor if you were listening with us like a few months ago broke her knee mm-hmm. dealt with that whole thing so that tough. was it's it was tough but yeah no i mean hey we're we're there we're there she's already, trucking so. along i gotta say she's making great progress from you know 
the initial yeah. phone call hearing about the knee to now <laughs> is like we've skyrocketed forward with everything. She's not milking it. That's for sure. She's oh. not milking it. There's no, there's none of that in her. That's just push through, push through, push through. You love to hear it. Yeah. Love these comeback stories. It's basically like, you know, we can make a movie out of this comeback story. Yeah. Maybe she'll get her own arc. Like Will Ferrell did in Talladega Nights, a story yeah. of redemption, a story <laughs> of, you know, it, it'll be great. Before we get into the episode, though, we've done the last few episodes. We need mm-hmm. to tell you guys again, just so we're on the same page. To be when clear. you get clothing, mm-hmm. you got to get it from worked sneakers. You got, you got to get it from worked, past tense, ED, sneakers.com. That will be in the description below. Their handles on social, they, they always post on their story when they get something in new. The constant post, good follow. Mm-hmm. Definitely go give them a look. You got to step your style game up. But if you want to look better than Kevin does, which absolutely you hard, should, but if you want to look better for than that. Kevin does, go to worksneakers.com. Follow them on Instagram. They're at worksneakers. All the socials, essentially, they're at worksneakers. They've got this yep. unlock. Get everything you need. They'll take good care of you. They're great people over there. You love to see it. If you want to look good coming into this new year, you go to worksneakers.com. That's all we got to say. Work sneakers. Look yeah. better than Kevin. That, that should be their tag. Let's work on a new tag. Let's, yeah, absolutely. Comma, it's not that hard. It, it's not. <laughs> just, just buy anything, honestly. Buy anything. But if you're going to buy it, get it from Worst Sneakers. Exactly. Also, you're wearing yeah. a shirt. I got our, a shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Our guy, Mo, on Spotify, is curating some of the best playlists I've ever seen. So when I was hanging out, I think it was last week, I needed to listen to some music. I went to one of my old Mo playlists, Six and H1. Definitely give that a listen too. But French Press is a Spotify playlist. It has an mm-hmm. A side. It has a B side. The best. Well, like, when do you like listening to that, Winnie? Like, it, when it you're really waking depends. Up? I mean, so you can listen to it really whenever. It's it's really yeah. kind of just good vibes all around playlist. Like if you're just looking yeah. to get in the mood for being on a certain level. So you have to be ready to get to this certain level of, you know, just feeling good and just no anxiety getting through a level of happiness. Feeling, exactly. A level of happiness. It, it brings about a euphoric mood. So if you want to get to that level, you want to get to that plane, you need to change up to your new music. Highly, highly recommend checking out this playlist. Unfortunately, the shirts are sold out. There may be some in the future that we can, we can plug a little bit, but right now yeah, we'll we- see. Would definitely recommend checking out the playlist because if you have a Spotify already, it's free to go check them out. Yeah. Yeah. No reason not to. Definitely very, very good music. We will talk more music on this episode. Let's start out a little more general. So we have both of these movies. We have Talladega Nights on one hand. We have Step Brothers on the other. And I think when we're at this stage now, they're around 13 years old, I guess, if you want to average them out. Yeah. Do these movies hold up? Do they stand the test of time? Winnie, what do you think? Comedically, yes. Obviously, (laughs) as movies get older, there's going to be a few things in them that show their age. Of course, with these movies, they're not going to be conscious of like, all right, we can't do that. We can't do this. That's fine. But comedically, the jokes in this are not going anywhere because I think the basis of them has not changed. So for Talladega, it's like that kind of mentality, that everything, the whole vibe of the movie, that hasn't changed for anybody in the last 13 years. 
stepbrothers, no. the, the craziness of that idea of two 40 year olds living with their parents. That's a timeless idea. I don't think that's going to change. No, it, you can make that movie at any time. I mean, the, yeah. the fact that there are 40 year old male man children living yes. with a newly wed couple, that's is so unique and so out there that you're not going to have an aging of that at all. I don't think. Exactly. I don't think those are going anywhere in that sense. And that's where it holds up great because when you rewatch these, you're not like thrown off by the premise or you're not thrown off by not understanding things that are such a timely reference. Maybe in like one of the movies they reference Highlander, which is a, sure. I, I think a 1980s movie in, Tal- in Talladega Nights. He's like, Oh, it's great. You, that'll go over your head. It went over yeah. my head this time. Otherwise, it yeah. yeah, it's just a, an all around great, movie that doesn't rely on the times to make its jokes land which i love yeah and you're not going to do that with this crew we've talked we talked about them last episode these are the best of the best of the 2000s comedy scene so i guess first generally we talked about that i want to know in terms of rewatches so i i want to know which one you liked more and how they were when the rewatch then we'll break right into talladega and go through our normal cadence so for me the rewatch for both of them was really exciting because i like as we mentioned with last week's movie it's the oversaturation on social media and everything of the quotes of the quotes and the quotes yeah both of them are so good that when you rewatch it takes that out of your mind you forget how good they are for me, Talladega stood a little bit more above Step Brothers, even though Step Brothers okay. came afterwards. I just yeah. think I love that premise. I love everything they did with that movie, even down to the side characters. I love everyone that comes in. So I think on the rewatch, I was more inclined to, you know, I'm definitely in the future going to throw that one back on again before I throw Step Brothers on. Like if I'm going through and I see those two, I'm going to pick Talladega over Step Brothers. But that's not mm-hmm. to say that one is way better than the other. What do you think? Yeah. I. I would agree with you. I think I would be more likely to watch Talladega. And honestly, it might be because when we hear all these lines, whether you like it or not, it throws you back into the scene. So I feel like I've seen Step Brothers so much more than I've seen Talladega. So when I was rewatching Talladega Nights, it really, it was nice because I kind of forgot how much of a true arc it follows. Even if you think it's goofy, even if you think it's, spoofy it does follow a true movie arc that would be somewhat in a drama maybe step brothers it's not that it doesn't do that but it's just more it's more bit heavy it's more improv heavy i feel like talladega nights kind of i I just feel like it's more rewatch worthy for me but that's not to say that other people would enjoy Step Brothers than Talladega more. I honestly, if I put the two up next to each other, they're both just so good. Oh, yeah. I can't really pick between the two. I think it's even, you know, I think Adam McKay was even being interviewed. And in it, he was just like, coming off of Talladega Nights, we knew that this was more of a like movie movie. So it had the the base of like this plot, this arc, all this character arc was, and everything. Right? Yeah, Talladega was. Yeah, and then yeah. coming into Step Brothers, they were like, all right, we want to do something a little different. We want to, you know, do something that's less of a movie movie and more of just like, let's hit it hard. Let's hit the ground running and let's make this as funny as we can. Yeah. So let's step right into Talladega right here because let's do it. I really do think that 
when when Adam McKay considers it more of a movie movie, and I just said I did, is because not it's not always great when people look too deep into comedies. Sometimes yeah. you should just let the comedy be the comedy, and that's fine. This movie, I was shocked how much of an arc it had because I was watching this and look, I'm going to be that person right now. Let's go deep into it. Yeah. This is just a story of one redemption two acceptance with his father, with his like, uh, with Cal, that, like accepting the fact that he took his wife. It's literally, it's like, it is a deep storyline. Yeah. <laughs> that, that it's than you expect for sure. Right. And it's framed in this ridiculous way. So it's still a really funny, hilarious movie. But even the last scene, when I'm going through, I'm like, holy crap, this literally is just like, it's him accepting the way his father is and getting over it. And that's something that's so deep. Like, and then you add on that he's accepting the fact that Cal did that. They're friends again at the end. His wife, he, he, basically just kicks her to the curb and that's another thing in itself like there is so much going on in this movie and then at the same time it's kind of like a nascar spoof it's yeah. kind of yeah. i love that they had nascar drivers in it too and they filmed at yeah. actual yeah. nascar events so they were grassroots with this they were like if we're mm-hmm. gonna do this we want to do it right and you could have so like had those aerial shots and everything and just, you know, Hollywooded it up and done it in such a fake way, you know, had a fake crowd and all of that stuff. But they really went to these events and they filmed there. They filmed in front of these crowds. They did all of that. And it makes mm-hmm. it, it takes it to another level when you do that. Because even in movies, even if it's a comedy, no matter what it is, you can tell when something is in a fake area and when something is true to form like that. Right. Way. And when you even have Dale Earnhardt come in and make a cameo in the movie just to show like, look, NASCAR was involved in this. Like they, we didn't yeah. overlook yeah. that entire community. Like he's in it. There's some other guys. I just thought that was really cool. That's something I think that you can do a lot in comedies is say, hey, we're going to make this movie and the person just happens to be a NASCAR driver. They happen to be in this certain area and poke fun at it. Yeah, they I think they do poke fun at it. But when you have that genuine element of it that you were talking about with the 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 shots, we can tell when something's complete BS or if it's just like if it's actually genuine. And I think them having that genuine feel to it really enhanced the fact that they were, you know, it was, it was kind of not a commentary on the NASCAR culture, but it it's rooted in that. And like this yeah. movie wasn't, it wasn't just a side plot that he happened to be a driver. Yeah, no, it takes you into like, we, I mean, personally, I have no experience with NASCAR. I've never been to an event. Me neither. I've never really watched any of the events, never seen anything. But with that, you get a good, I don't want to say a good sense, but you get almost the satirical view of the community and you also get like a real life view of the community because there's genuine shots of people on the, and it looks so fun. I got to say, I want to go to, I want to be on the infield during a race. Like I want to go and hang out there. I've heard NASCAR races and events in general are just a blast i've i've heard they're a ton of fun and that's what i think so they did say when when you look at the movie i think someone was asked will ferrell was asked in the interview i was watching do you think of this as a satire or a celebration of nascar and he said he kind of thinks they're both which i think is true so 
when I watched the movie, this is me projecting myself onto it because I think that in the sense that it was satire was that Will Ferrell was this like eccentric character. He was, he was a, a hyperbolized version of what we would think to be a famous NASCAR driver, you know? Yeah. Southern guy gets a bunch of money and then just, you know, buys this nice house, everything like that. Yeah. And that is not to say that that's just what Southern people would do. A lot of people would do that, but he happened to be a NASCAR driver. So at the same time, though, I think that when you have these shots of the NASCAR scene and you have the really genuine people working there. So like literally, let's go down to the, the guy at the ticket booth. That's like, oh, it's so sad. His dad comes here but you know or his dad doesn't come here but he saves it all the time yeah and his mom his mom is such a genuinely nice person wants the best in everyone i think that that is what they celebrate yeah and then what i think is satire is just the hyperbolized characters of cal and of of will ferrell like they I think that we're made to laugh at the satire of that kind of thing. But yeah. I think you also realize that it's not true. Like that's not how things actually are. Yeah. It's not like we actually have guys like NASCAR drivers who are so absurdly cocky like that. I mean, you know, there's, there's always going to be people in sports who are just the best of the best and they're obvious they're going to yeah. do certain outlandish things, but you know, this was just an insanely hyperbolized view of that. And it was I mean, done really well. Oh, that's so funny. Taking him, <laughs> taking him from a guy who works in the pit crew and then just jumping in, coming in third, and go, that whole arc. I love how it goes up. How you think from the beginning scene, he's like, I want to go fast, I want to go fast, <laughs> and drives the car. You think immediately when it goes to the track, you're like, oh, he's going to be a superstar. And you see him in yeah. jail on the pit crew just changing the tires. You're like, oh, okay, how does he get to the driver? Where is this going to go from here? I love that little aspect of it's taking you and it's like, here's where you think we're going to go and spin it a little bit. They don't spin it where it's like takes 30 minutes to get to be for him to be a driver from the pit crew. They jump right into it. But I love that little spin of where they take it. Yeah. I really do like the fact that they started him out at the low level. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of there with him at the the lowest level, especially if you look at what Will Ferrell as the character would want what Ricky would want is he wants to be the best. So you start him out, you're with him at the beginning when he's just trying to earn it, when he's just trying to keep going. And then he has this opportunity because the driver is just like, ah, I'm just going to go eat a chicken sandwich or whatever. (laughs) He hops and he hops the action and you're right there with him. So you're ready to go. Wasn't that Adam McKay? Wasn't that Adam McKay who played the other driver? I think it was who the driver hops out and get. Yeah. I think that always does his cameos in the movie was him just (laughs) hopping out, going to eat a chicken sandwich. He's like, guys, I'm going to eat this, go to the bathroom and then we'll be good to go. Yeah, yeah, I'll come back in. I think it really was him. And I I do love that they do the little cameo in every movie. And they kind of have to force Judd to do cameos, which he didn't do in this movie. But I I do like how they took this cast and ran with it, too. Like, they got such a great cast for these roles. And I know, like, the the casting for all of these movies is really extensive. But Mm -hmm. to know from what we talked about last week from Anchorman and to jump in because John C. Riley couldn't work with it for Anchorman and to have a movie kind of ready to go with him, 
I think that this is the spawn of a great combination. And through the years, we've seen these two work together, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. And this is, I mean, we're doing basically an appreciation episode of their combination. I think that this yeah. is the spawn where we learn like, holy shit, these are great together. They're so good together. They play off each other so well. And then to just throw Sasha Baron Cohen in the mix, just, <laughs> I mean, even Andy Richter was in this movie. I Andy think- Richter was his Sasha yeah. Baron Cohen's boyfriend or husband. Or husband whatever they Gregory, said. I think it was. Husband, yeah, they raised yeah. German shepherds and horses and... <laughs> <laughs> They did. What a ridiculous character there too, which I, that's another thing that I think is funny is, you know, when you, when you look at the NASCAR scene, that's a very American, uh, I put Americans in air quotes for the listeners. That's what we see of as these, this like clash with Sacha Baron Cohen and Will Ferrell is like America versus not even France, but just the rest of the world basically. And that that's what satirized is that, Will Ferrell just plays this very stereotypical, you know, uh, these colors don't run. I think they even say, yeah, they, they yeah. say it when he's about to break his arm, these colors don't run. And something that I really liked about this movie is let's step into Kevin's music corner here, because <laughs> if you're going to make this and you're going to have it be satirized to be this American type of character, you're going to need to throw some music in behind it. So they pick really good songs that are also kind of like upbeat and happy to move it along. So yeah. you remember uh, "Give Me Three Steps" was in it. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, that's a Skinner song. That's a good classic American. And then another two you have uh, "Kickstart My Heart" by Motley Crue, mm-hmm. all timer. That's just a fun one. Let's progress the plot along, keep it moving. And then when Will Ferrell and Amy Adams are starting to make out, even though they reference White Snake, which again, yeah. alone is another American music nod. Um, they have faithfully by journey playing mm-hmm. hits you in the heart. And then also just a shout out quick, because this came out pretty, this is on the newer side compared to those other ones, but Cocos by audio slave is in this too. Mm-hmm. Fantastic song. Shout out. I, shout yeah. out obviously. I love how they did that. I love how the, the detail that goes into the music selection. I know that you've appreciated it in a ton of movies that we've done. It makes or breaks a movie. And for this one, it just enhances it so much. For a comedy to take such stock in what music is played when is really showing like, I don't, I mean, I think our podcast is kind of centered around this and it's talked about a lot in, you know, the movie world that comedies really don't get the the respect that they necessarily deserve, yeah. whether it comes to like award shows and all of that. I mean, even mm-hmm. in the comedy category, they may have one or two, but they're never considered for like best of or anything like that uh, ever. Yeah. I and mean, honestly, like, let's not lie. Most of the time they're probably not deserving. And no, honestly, yeah, I, like if you look at the movies at the Oscars, I personally just, I don't really like those movies and that's okay. That's why I think we can almost look at it as like the Oscars are the Oscars movies are Oscar movies. Like, you know what you're going to get out of those. That's why I like, I think Rotten Tomatoes in general isn't a great way to figure out if a movie is good, but comedies I kind of do because I think the average person likes a funny movie. When they sit down, a lot of the time, they want to laugh. So if there's a good audience score on Rotten Tomatoes on a comedy, that means it's good. The critic score does not matter when it comes to these movies. It's all about the audience score because there's 63 critics and some are like the plot line got so farce. It's like, all right, take a step back, okay? And then you see the audience. It's like I was laughing my ass off for an hour and a half. 
Uh, you just yeah. love to see that. I do think we need to get, there needs to be an outlet for of recognition for these movies. And I, I love that that's what we're doing because they don't get the, the praise that these other Oscar nominated movies do. And that's what yeah. we're doing. I love it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so you just put us in the same sentence as the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, we are the, we, I the mean, sincerely look, qualified Oscar. If you t- talk about it, like if, if you get talked about on our podcast, yeah, that means you made it. Congratulations, Judd. The unqualified foreign press. That's us. Yeah, that's us. The, the thing with what we were saying with like Oscar movies versus comedies, the interesting thing about the movies we've been doing, they're the Judd Apatow produced movies, Adam McKay. Adam McKay himself as a director makes interesting movies that have a lot of thought behind them and generally they have a general overtone of what they want to say so even like the big short we probably won't do the big short because it's not like a comedy just Mm -hmm. a fantastic movie though but with judd i and the reason i bring up judd apatow by the way everyone listening is because i really like him (laughs) like (laughs) i I read I, i have a book of his that i've like been reading through and something that i know he does is when he looks at scripts I think a lot of the time he tells people to write it as a drama and then go back and plug in a bunch of jokes and bits and premises. And that is where we see when you talk about comedies, when you talk about movies like this, they are more of the movie movies. And then you can have some stoner comedies in there. And that's when I think people are like, well, these just aren't the same thing. When you talk about like Oscar movies, dude, where's my car? probably doesn't have a fantastic arc but it's a fun movie to watch exactly that i think that was what we've mentioned for forgetting sarah marshall too in our episode is like write it as a drama and then make it funny which is great i love that that's what we love in our rom-coms which yeah by the way our rom-com next week more of a buddy movie but definitely a rom-com i love you man so i actually this is one of my favorite movies winnie i you haven't seen it I don't think I've seen it. No, either I haven't seen it or Maybe I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, I've I've seen yeah. probably bits and pieces throughout the years, but I'm gonna rewatch it for the first time in a while, uh, and hopefully I'll come out positive. I may have some It'd you know funny. feedback It'd for you. Either. Yeah, if I yeah. didn't like it, you know, <clears throat> I haven't not liked something we've watched so far just because we've been picking like cherry picking the yeah. best of the best. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. This is gonna be my my honest opinion coming in. So I might have some some pointers. Or some uh, hot takes next week for I Let's love see. you. Mate. That'd be interesting. I don't think you will, but that's just me because I love Probably that movie. Not. Yeah. Let's move on to inexclusive exclusives for Talladega Nights. So the first one that I want to point out was about Judd, and he was talking about how they had this whole thing going on with NASCAR. So. What he actually said was when they were doing all this NASCAR heavy, this racing heavy material, they didn't really know much about it. So NASCAR as an organization was actually heavily involved and they even pitched jokes to them that they would put into the movie because they have that firsthand experience. So he was saying like we would, we'd be writing for so long and then all of a sudden these people who could actually just drive cars at 150 miles an hour would be funnier than us and we would just put them in the movie. So definitely as we were talking about the, the satire, it's if it's, it's celebrating or if it's embracing it, they were involved in that satire. 
Yeah, and you like when you can make jokes about yourself. Number one, that shows that you're you know genuinely self aware and a funny person. And when you can take your profession or anything and be good at that, and then come into a movie like a movie meeting or movie room and literally uh-huh. make that better, that's just a cherry on top. I mean, oh, kudos yeah. to these guys for coming in. And they knew the movie was a little bit satirical. They can take a joke, yeah. took it on the chin, and they were like, this would be a little funnier if you did it this way. I love it. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, talented people are generally talented in a lot of areas. So yeah. it doesn't surprise me that some drivers are probably really funny. But speaking of driving a NASCAR, there was a movie, more of an Oscar movie, because it was a Tom Cruise movie. Mm-hmm. So in 1990, Days of Thunder came out. That was a Tom Cruise NASCAR driving movie. And John C. Riley actually was one of the pit members of Tom Cruise's crew. And in this movie, when Will Ferrell's running around and he thinks he's on fire and he's saying, help me, Jesus, help me, God, help me, Allah, and then says, help me, Tom Cruise, (laughs) that's calling that out. So everyone was like, well, how does he randomly come to yeah. Tom Cruise? And it's kind of a nod to the fact that hey, Days Days of Thunder was a good movie. <laughs> See, I honestly, at first, when I like before I had known that, I thought it was a similar thing to the forty-year-old version where Steve Carell just yelled out Kelly Clarkson. Kelly I Clarkson. thought it was like a very similar thing where somebody just popped in his mind and yeah. he's just like, "Help me, Tom Cruise." I just I thought that too <laughs> I, because so my Tom Cruise movie watching history isn't great honestly i know what days of thunder is but i like that did not pop to my mind for sure hey ever heard of top gun yeah i that's okay i'm not including that day what is it edge of tomorrow where he just keeps waking we're not gonna go into that i can't let's go let's just go next one next So at, we've talked about how they filmed it at the tracks and at these real NASCAR events, which was incredible. So mm-hmm. for one of the scenes when the drivers are getting their intros, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Sasha Baron Cohen were actually introduced in character at the 2005 Quality 500. So when the two characters, when Will Ferrell's character and John C. Riley's character were being introduced, there was obviously the applause. But when Sasha Baron Cohen's French character was introduced, the 200,000 fans that were there just instinctively booed him. And there was no prompting. There was no anything that they got beforehand. They just naturally booed him. You know, like 50 people started booing, though. And then everyone just took over doing the same thing. They're like, we're, we're booing yeah. this guy? Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's, hey, we're doing this? We're doing this. Okay, let's do it. Can you imagine 200,000 people booing you at one time? Even if you're in character, that's absurd. I feel like Sasha Baron Cohen is the perfect person for that to have happened to, though. Well, he actually, that's not the first time. He actually said that it reminded him of the time that he was in Alabama playing a gay Austrian character and got booed by 90,000 drunk men at the Alabama Mississippi football game. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was Bruno and you know, he's used to it, but I don't know if that's a good thing to be used to because he's, I mean, we've gone through numerous situations where he barely gets out alive. Yeah. Well, he, he loves that stuff. He's into that stuff. Yeah. This Um, one, I don't think he had to fear for his life so much though. No, yeah, yeah. So this one, he was a Formula One driver. That's really big over in Europe, hence the mm-hmm. French character. But in terms of NASCAR, a lot of the time, 
it sounds really bad because most of the time people make it out okay. So I have heard people say that a lot of the time, the only time a NASCAR race is interesting is when there is a crash. There are a lot of crashes in this movie. Yeah. And every single one was actually done real. It was done for real. So what they did was they had explosive jacks underneath the cars that would just send them. And then they got taken out in, uh, with computer graphics uh, after the fact, like in post-production, they took them out with CG. So when you saw all of that craziness on the track and those crazy, crazy crashes, they actually happened for real. Yeah. And they looked so real. And when you're watching it, you almost wonder either the CGI team should be getting paid billions of dollars for their work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it looked so good or they mm-hmm. did something absurd and they, they did something absurd. They literally had these crashes go off, which is awesome that they could do that. Cause I didn't even know, I know for movie scenes, you can have those crashes and usually see, you see when the car flips and you know, they have that half ramp where they drive yeah. up and the car uh-huh. flips, but I've never uh-huh. seen a full on racing crash, like a 12 yeah. car pileup kind of deal. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like what we were talking about when we went over Tropic Thunder is yeah. CG versus practical effects. Mm-hmm. We had some practical effects in here, which was fantastic. One thing that was a practical effect, though, was the scene with the knife in the leg where Will Ferrell stabs himself in the <laughs> leg to prove that he's paralyzed. paralyzed. <laughs> when he says a uh, doctor's like, it's psychosomatic. And John C. Riley's like, oh, so he can set fire to stuff with his mind. <laughs> But that scene was actually supposed to be really short. Um, The only reason it got turned into like a longer gag rather than the throwaway bit it was supposed to be is because the production crew liked it so much that they expanded it. And rest in peace to Michael Clark Duncan. He actually was the one who suggested that they add another knife into it. And when he's kind of going in and digging the knife out with the other knife, that was his idea. <laughs> it was brutal. Oh, it was so funny though. It's just like, it's one of those ones where you kind of want to look away, but you're still laughing. Yeah. You're just like, why? Who thinks of it that way? No. I mean, <laughs> we got to wedge this one out. <laughs> and you know, it was improv when they were all going, when Will Ferrell's on the couch, just going, oh, I think it struck a nerve. <laughs> yeah. Going with the second knife, like prodding at it. That was like, and yeah, in the end credits, then we see all the different versions of that. It's Will yeah. Ferrell cracking up during it. That's how you know it was just like it started as something and just turned into its own animal. Fantastic. Gotta love uh, that a lot of these older movies have the bloopers in the end credits because I've like on the rewatch, I'm so glad that they keep these in and everything like that in the yeah. in condensed movies because it's so funny to see a glimpse into the the filming of them and seeing all these bloopers, like these extended clips, just see everybody dying. It's almost funnier than the scene itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's fantastic. And we, we need to go back to that. We oh, will yeah. get back to that, Yeah, but pretty unrelated. But when we saw Anchorman, obviously Steve Carell is in there with everyone. So he actually was supposed to be a part of this movie too, but there were scheduling conflicts. So Will Ferrell did want to get him back in this, but as we knew from before, John C. Riley had the scheduling conflicts to not be an anchor man. So those two got together. Steve Carell, unfortunately had to miss out on this one though. I like that that it switched up in between though. I think we got the best of both of those two, like him being brick, Steve Carell, and mm-hmm. then John C. Riley playing Cal was incredible. So 
I mean, with that, I think it's obvious after, you know, why Steve Carell couldn't do this because there was so much that went into this movie. And one of the things that went into the production and kind of getting the feel for how the NASCAR drivers are is Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Sasha Baron Cohen all had to learn kind of the fundamentals of race car driving from Richard Petty, uh, the Richard Petty driving experience. So mm-hmm. Sasha Baron Cohen is quoted as saying, the first thing they have you do is ride shotgun in a real NASCAR drive, like with a real NASCAR driver at 180 yeah. miles an hour around the track. And he said that it was one of the most unpleasant experiences of his, his entire life. But all three Believe of the it. actors actually insisted on getting off the track after just one lap (laughs) because of how absurd the experience is. Oh, it has to be insane. Absolutely ridiculous. But, you know, they got to do what they got to do. That's like when, uh, what movie was it that they, oh, was it Saving Private Ryan? They went to boot camp for? I think, what was the movie? They went to boot camp for. um, Let's say Saving Private Ryan. We'll just go with that. I'll say it confidently. It. Yeah. It was Saving Private Ryan. I just looked it up. I don't think Keep it going. was. Was it? <laughs> I, I don't just know. so no. did not look it up. <laughs> I did yeah. not look it hey, up. No. I just Give us looked our last it up. Fact if here. you say it with confidence, <laughs> you looked it up. So that's exactly it. Yeah. As you notice, Kev, why don't you look it up now while I'm, you know, relaying this information? Basically, so you saw all the sponsors in this movie. All the cars were decked out as they are in actual NASCAR races. Every car is a sponsor. Every car's got the big name on it. Every car's got the little sponsors. The jumpsuits have the sponsors on them. So the main ones in this were Wonder Bread, Old Spice, and Perrier. Um, None of them paid a cent for any of that. They were just kind of in the movie. And, you know, Wonder Bread actually promoted the film through kind of back-end deals. But Perrier, in this instance didn't require like it had a huge presence but it wasn't required to pay anything which is kind of cool that they did that i think both parties are really cool for just letting that happen yeah no i agree especially because it was kind of it plays into it right and that it was kind of a commentary on that was that just all the branding so we know that adam mckay is pretty anti-corporation from the other guys so i think it was funny to see all that and when he's when will ferrell's doing his prayer and he's like i'm contractually obligated to mention uh blue gatorade in every single prayer <laughs> so it's this whole thing that we're the, the sponsorship uh angle of it is being yeah. pointed out and laughed at is funny saving private ryan is the movie so don't okay. question me <laughs> okay i never questioned you check the tape yes, i you never did. questioned you check the tape roll I it said, back i said i agreed <laughs> let's move on to our favorites though Uh, Why don't you give me your favorite character? All right. My favorite character is going to be a controversial one because I don't know, for me, I think he had some of the best lines in the entire movie. It was Texas Ranger, Ricky Bobby's son, the redheaded kid who was played by Grayson Russell. He had some of the best lines in the entire movie and his cadence for being like, what, a seven, eight year old was incredible. Just the way he said things made it so much funnier. Texas, the fact that his kids are named Walker, Walker. Texas Ranger (laughs) is hilarious. Um, we're going to keep moving here. We'll just rapid fire our favorites. Um, yeah. I got to give Cal. I think Will Ferrell is too easy of a choice. It's probably Will Ferrell because he's, especially when you think about the hospital scene. But when you see Cal just interacting with him, so many funny lines. He plays such mm-hmm. a fantastic supporting character. At the end, he gets his his trophy, even though it's on a technicality and he loves it. Wholesome guy. Give me Cal. I, I, can't, I can't disagree with that. 
You want no, to jump right into lines? There. Yeah, we're glad John C. Riley well, was involved. We yeah, we got to go scenes. Um, I'll take the cougar scene. So okay. when there, yeah, gets mauled by a cougar, then it's in the car, and he, then he's like petting it. <laughs> he's like yep. the, that. He gets it to. He's basically becomes its owner. I think that's hilarious. Cougar scene to me is funny. Cougar scene is great. I think next to Cougar scene is for me all of the fake ads that they do, both in the movie and outside the movie. If you don't chew big red, you that yeah. just gets me every time. And then the Japanese candy ad is unmatched. <laughs> it's so funny. That's the funniest thing when you're talking about the the brand placements too and the sponsorships yeah. is that most likely a Japanese candy company would not want to be a sponsor of a NASCAR racer. <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. I said most likely. I said most likely. <laughs> um, let's go on to lines here now, though, because these this movie, so many great lines. We need to, we need to bring some light to some of them. Mm-hmm. So the first one I want to do is it's during that prayer and it's when Will Ferrell's hung up on the fact that he wants baby Jesus. Like he likes baby Jesus the best. So it's eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. A little <laughs> infant. So cuddly, but still omnipotent Jesus. <laughs> still omnipotent is what cracks me up so much. I love that. And then I love uh, John C. Riley's rebuttal of just saying like, I like to picture my Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt. <laughs> Saying good vocals for Leonard for Leonard Skinner. Now yeah, the front row just hammer drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Mine is from my favorite character. It's from Texas Ranger. It's it's from him and Walker when they're talking to Chip, the grandpa. Mm-hmm. It's shut, shut up, Chip, or I'll go ape shit on your ass. And then uh, Texas Ranger just goes, "I'm going scissor kick you in the back of the head." <laughs> That's a good one, Chip. I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. I've been saying that line for years and years. I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. Just oh yeah, every time. That's that is one of the the absolute all timers. Um, real quick through the next two. Yeah, mine is when he's when Cal is talking to him. Like, hey man, we missed you at the wedding. It was real classy. We had a sticks cover band. I feel like he goes on to more of that. Yeah. But th- to follow up the fact that it was classy, he says there is a sticks cover band. Cracks me up. Yep. Mine, my last one is when he's driving and there's the Fig Newton sticker over the, the windshield now. He goes, This sticker is dangerous and inconvenient, but I do love Fig Newtons. <laughs> <laughs> Another brand placement thing. Absolutely so just can't see. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You want to jump Let's- right into Step Brothers? Yeah, let's get into Step Brothers now. So when we look at Step Brothers and Talladega Nights, obviously comes one after another. So it's the follow-up. Step Brothers is the follow-up to Talladega Nights. And what I want to know from you is, do you think it's the follow-up that we needed? Is it? Yes. Yes. So like we talked about before, I think that it's needed in the sense that it's the more bit heavy comedy movie of just an absurd idea taking it and running with it mm-hmm. talladega nights is incredible throughout i think Step Brothers is an idea that's so unique that we haven't seen before yes. that has so much quotability has so much so many great like if you just watch one or two scenes you're still gonna laugh your ass off without knowing the backstory it's just two 40 yeah. year olds living at home i mean what's yeah that could be an snl skit on its own i think that that alone the the idea is funny and it's 
it was a great follow-up for these two because they had that chemistry already. That was proven. And then they came into this with these new characters and just ran with it. Yeah, we see their chemistry as two NASCAR drivers. And then we say, all right, what if they're really poorly adjusted 40-year-olds who live at home and they're basically just these man children? So I feel like they wrote them as like 14-year-olds. Like I, this, this story could have easily worked with 14-year-olds, but it's yeah. them. <laughs> it's just exactly. those, those do it 40 years. Obviously, there's a lot of humor around the fact that they are old and that they're doing this, but most of their dialogue is so infant and it's just so it's what cracks me up the most about that is that it takes three quarters of the movie to for them to bring in a therapist so will ferrell <laughs> starts going to see a therapist like these these people needed a therapist for a while now <laughs> yeah i think the day they hit 30 and they were still doing that stuff maybe bring in a therapist but they waited yeah. 10 more years i love it, it's almost like they got back in the mindset of being you know, however old, I think they were acting probably around 12 as if they were 12 yeah. year olds, 13. I love yeah. that. They just were so comfortable jumping into that mentality and just going and just, they had the lines, they probably improv a ton, but being comfortable enough, it seemed real when the idea itself is so far-fetched. Yeah, no, that I, I definitely agree with that because that this, probably should never happen <laughs> let's yeah. just get that out there it's not like we have anything for reference to be like oh no it actually worked out this way when you have yeah. 40 year olds that are living at home with their their recently married divorced parents um they're single parents it is a concept that mm-hmm. not many people unless you were in that situation could pull knowledge from Mm -hmm. so when we see it we're like no this is actually probably how it would work like it's not too far out there but the concept itself is ridiculous which i think that is all credit to their acting ability and then you got to throw adam mckay and and judd apatow in there to ground it a little yeah even the little bits of when they're first driving to the new house or they're driving around and will ferrell is sitting in the back seat like oh yeah yeah that got me immediately when you're getting eased into the concept that the couple just hooks up. You kind of know what the deal is. And then you see him just sitting in the backseat as a 40 year old. You're like, all right, this is, this is going somewhere. That's going to be hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it is. It, that is like a little nice touch on it when you see things like that. And you know, right away, we know how it's going to be. They don't yeah. stray away. Like right away, it's hit in the face. These people are, hopelessly awkward and weird like these uh the dale and brennan i mean um and then you also start feeling for the parents right away too and you just know it's not gonna end well spoiler alert it does not yeah. <laughs> but it's well, coming it kind of does long term yeah actually true true it ends up which we'll talk about that soon, yeah a little later and then you can see like before we get a little further you can see that it's not all in the parenting too when adam scott comes in like he's this i wouldn't say you know completely normal because he's a dick but he's you know generally successful normal ish human being and then to have that contrasted with these two are just so out of nowhere out of left field is really i mean i think that brings not reality to it but it, it shows like they're not two only children kind of just two crazy two situations like there's something that happened for both of them 
Yes. Yeah. It's it's not the parents' fault. It's yeah. definitely their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh, I mean, Derek is a huge douche, but also, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about him. I'm sure Adam oh, yeah. Scott is fantastic in this. It is funny seeing that juxtaposition there where you have this successful mm-hmm. guy, you know, city kind of guy interacting with his kid brother or his older brother mm-hmm. when they made him the older brother. I, I like that, that too. Yeah, because that comes that comes along at the end, and an awesome Adam Scott, just like two seconds of him, like oh. <laughs> yeah, I want to give a shout out to Adam Scott too, because I don't know if we mentioned him a ton. I think we mentioned him a little last week when we were telling everyone that we were going to do these movies potentially. Yeah, but Adam Scott is a comedic actor that I feel like maybe he gets enough credit for Parks and Rec and other <laughs> things that he's done, but yeah. he is hilarious. This dude is. A one when he comes into comedies. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about him later for sure. Yeah. And I do think we mentioned it last week. That's why I started yeah. kind of laughing. I just said, I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. He said that. <laughs> yeah. No, I did. But I just wanted to say again, because he's actually in this movie. We'll talk about it a little later, but he's awesome. But yeah. So we already mentioned it this episode. This movie, it, and we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast. The reason it wasn't in our top tens is strictly because the lines kind of ruined it for us. It's the first yeah. thing that got memed to death in the the early 2000s sense of people just reciting lines all the time. Mm-hmm. But when you sit back and you rewatch this, you realize why it is quoted so much. And it's because exactly. it's incredible there is a reason as we were just exactly at the right age just exactly at the right age for people to overquote it it happened but hey when you rewatch this such a fantastic watch so funny and then it caps off in the end really really well Mm -hmm. according to me which we will talk about later same here and we grew up with social media and we grew up with these movies and they came together for the perfect you know kind of collision they came on a collision course i'll say these two these movies and social media where that's where we're so saturated with the memes i think that people were coming up with these movies remember the lines so much and that's where we get everything that we see today and we're you know just see constant content but definitely agree worth the rewatch if you're scared or hesitant to rewatch for that reason alone you think you've seen it all you definitely haven't from us especially I yeah. would say don't be scared to rewatch it because you think everything is funny. Like, you know everything that's going to happen. Yeah, and I also think that's another great thing. To So I avoided it for so long, and then I recently rewatched it. And when you watch it and you're like, okay, I know what this line's about to happen. Let's yeah. just, let's not be jaded by it. Let's just watch it for the joy yeah. that it is. It's so much more fun. It's such a good, good movie that you know, you, it's also that, you know, there's so much improv and you just know that they're having a great time because Mm -hmm. they have such great chemistry. They're so good together. So you're basically, I was almost watching it as just like a celebration (laughs) that these two people got together again and made this movie and it thought about how much fun it was probably for them. Granted, we obviously like comedy movies a lot. That's why we have a podcast (laughs) about it. But I think that if you do go back and rewatch it, except the fact that it's going to be the 400th time you heard about the drum set. You put yeah. your balls on my drum set and then get over it. Take those lines with a grain of salt, but just know that you don't have the entire movie memorized and there is some stuff that's going to make you laugh. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And even if, 
even if you remember it, you're gonna laugh. Yeah, exactly. There's a reason that you remember it. Just saying. Yeah. Do you want to move on to inexclusive exclusives? Let's jump in. Wait, Let's hang jump on. In. Inexclusive exclusives. <laughs> I, I was just like, do you want to move on to inexclusive? You sound like you were talking in reverse. <laughs> I got it then. Exclusive exclusives, which also in exclusives is not a word, but that's okay. Yeah, play that in reverse. You'll hear actually Kevin says it perfectly. <laughs> we were just testing that if, new feature out. If you play that in reverse, you'll hear that I was actually chanting for the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched the Night Stalker documentaries, dude. You can't be saying that. <laughs> Little, or actually, sorry. If, if this is inside baseball here with Pink Floyd fans, if you play this in reverse, you'll hear what Pink is or who Pink is. Wow. He's getting really... That's Kevin's music corner on steroids. Kevin's right music there. corner. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, everyone. Welcome to we'll Kevin's cut that out. music corner. Give me we don't exclusive cut. exclusive. We don't cut. You started out. All right. So <laughs> basically, we said that this was the spawn of Talladega Nights. Essentially, how that came to be is Adam McKay, Will Ferrell, and John C. Riley met up one night during the editing of Talladega Nights, and they had they were trying to you know brainstorm some ideas for their next project together because they all love working together, and we love when they work together. So we're glad that this happened. So the next day, when they were in the editing room, someone said bunk beds, which gave Adam McKay the idea to have these two actors play overgrown man, man childs, essentially. Like they were supposed to play overgrown stepbrothers who are man children. That's, and, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was the spawn. It can come from something as simple as just saying bunk beds. And then that's how we got this movie, which is creativity can come from anywhere. Insane that that happened, especially because we were, you know, 40 year old version came from a second city sketch. This came from two words and they were just yeah. like, yep. We're making this movie. <laughs> I can see him just looking at John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, seeing them probably fucking around when they were editing stuff. Someone says bunk beds. He looks at them again and just thinks, they could, yeah, they could play stepbrothers and man children. Yeah, they could kill that. Yeah. And just writing, a, yeah, just coming up with that. That's awesome. Another thing that was kind of, you know, little, this was improv on the set. So Catherine Hahn who plays Adam Scott's wife in the movie. Yeah. On the set, there was, you know, that vagina monologue that she had when she's talking to John C. Riley. So after the first take of that vagina monologue, the entire crew was so impressed with what had just happened before their eyes. They actually broke into applause. Yeah. I wonder how much that actually happens on sets. Cause I feel like it's not too often. And that monologue that she did was so funny. It deserved oh. applause. It should have been applauded on set. It's so good that you think it's pre-written just because of how it comes out and how it's delivered. You, it, It's seamless how it mm. it's delivered and it's so funny. And then to find out afterwards, number one, that that was improvised. And number two, that a whole set is just like, holy shit, and just starts clapping. <laughs> they don't know what else to do. They just yeah. spontaneously started clapping. <laughs> I know. That's like live theater to the fullest. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It's when you know you got the chops. You, you got, got the chops, kid. You got this, kid. That's the <laughs> reason we gave you this job. <laughs> you got it, Catherine. Um, let's go on to here. So we were talking about the last scene, and that's the, mm. the Catalina wine mixer. So we had 
them doing their prestige worldwide thing, how we specifically obviously didn't mention boats and hose. That is one of the things that's been instilled into us too much. Yep. But you come to the end and you have Will Ferrell finally singing in public and you have John C. Riley just jamming on the drums for everyone. So that was actually Will Ferrell's real singing voice and John C. Riley's drumming. John C. Riley actually learned how to drum for a role in the movie Georgia, where the music was recorded live. But you look at something else, the the best person, you know, the the cocky guy, Adam Scott, when he was in the car with his family singing uh, Sweet Child of Mine, that acapella, mm-hmm. wasn't Adam Scott's voice. So the two losers, Will Ferrell mm-hmm. and John C. Riley, real music ability. Adam Scott, sorry, wasn't his voice. I thought it was opposite too when I was watching, I gotta say. I knew it was Will Ferrell's voice. You well, could no, kind of know. Tell. Yeah, you, it I, seemed I figured like it, it was. was. Yeah. And then John C. Riley, I thought... Maybe they like he was he was drumming, but they threw some background in for him to help mm-hmm. him out. But I I I'm shocked to know that it wasn't Adam Scott's voice. I thought it, I figured it was. So did I, because it looks so real when he's doing it too. Not that that yeah. can take away from it, but I'd love to hear like the background of it to hear what he actually sang when he was doing that and <laughs> what he really sounds like. Yeah, I think the, the, the kid is incredible. <laughs> His youngest. Oh yeah, that kid. Or is, was it the oldest or the youngest? Yeah. Whatever the 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 boy, the child, the, the child, the child. Oh, that's a Grogu. different series. That's it. Yeah. Well, different series. Twenty twenty three, I guess. Spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler. Grogu. Yeah, we're Done. a big spoiler cast. But <laughs> another thing that was kind of unexpected, similar to uh, Catherine Hahn's monologue, there was another improvised monologue during this which was Richard Jenkins, who played Dr. Robert Doback, who was the dad. <laughs> the dinosaur speech at the end of the movie was improv. Essentially, they prompted him to really just tell a story about when he was a kid and tried to act like a dinosaur. And it, it went from there. And they did it so well the first time, but him and Adam McKay were speaking afterwards and they were like, all right, let's, let's write a few things in for this and we'll do it again. So they did it again. And in two takes, they had it down. But Richard Jenkins was essentially like, that was great. Don't you dare put that in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he was so uh, nervous about what people would think or something. (laughs) Yeah, just like, don't put that in the movie. Him talking about wanting to be a velociraptor or something. Yeah. It's so funny. In that moment, he becomes like truly unhinged, basically, and just wants the best. It it leads to him being like, play the fuck out of those drums, Dale. He comes around completely to be like this, this really eccentric character because he was so straight the whole Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And that just plays on the whole thing of like, don't grow up a little bit. Just the theme, the theme of the movie. Don't grow up too fast. Don't get out of that. That mentality, follow your dreams, be a dun. Even Will yeah. Ferrell and John C. Riley, when he's doing that monologue, you're like, well, you're a human being. You can't be a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so funny. You can't be a dinosaur. What are you talking what about? What do you mean, be a dinosaur? Yeah. But that was a little, that was a great little, little monologue in there. I mean, both improv a little bit, both incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So going off of improv, obviously, with this cast, as you've heard us talk about on these podcasts, you're going to have a lot of improv. So there is actually the first version of this movie was five hours long. So we had six hours with uh, 
Anchorman, I think. That That's like said both around... end games. Oh, no. Sorry. There was six versions of every scene in Anchorman. Yeah. Anchorman was only supposed to... Be... There was three hours of three footage, hours. and it was an hour and a half. But this was five hours. So yeah. step that up. And they said that there was a million and a half feet of film. So like obviously, that doesn't mean much because most people haven't shot on film and know it but yeah that about it equates to around five hours of just straight improvisation of a movie yeah <laughs> if quentin tarantino is listening he knows exactly how much film that would be otherwise i don't know i think you might get a little lost there yeah steven spielberg just came <laughs> <laughs> i think I, it was it's him or someone else someone one famous director literally carries around a piece of film in his wallet at all times. So like he'll just pull out his wallet sometimes and just look at it. Be like, look at this three and a half. So like different types of film, yeah. he can show people be like, so this is why I use three and a half millimeter. Cause mm-hmm. if you use this, it looks like it's just like, just carries around all the time. I can see that being like a Wes Anderson thing. Just him whipping out oh, yeah. like a, a piece of film. Like yeah, Wes shoots on film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big film guy. Big film Huge guy. Film guy. Huge film guy. You could say he could make a career out of it. Oh, he might have. He might have even done that. Yeah, big improv movie. Like, essentially, there was a little cameo from Ken Jong, who we love. Love Ken Jong. Mm-hmm. Hate, the, hate the Hangover. Love Ken Jong. Sorry, don't make it. A no, trilogy. we like the Hangover. We like, like the Hangover. We like the Hangover one. I like the Hangover. Don't make it a trilogy. Ha. We like Ken Jong. We love Ken Jong. So his one little scene with Dale was essentially supposed to be filmed like really short. It could have taken 20 minutes. But in an interview, that he was actually quoted as saying that they took so much time to do all of their scenes and they allowed so much back and forth and so much improv that really him and John C. Riley were going back and forth for about like three hours when they could have done this scene in essentially 20 minutes. And he said that most directors would say, all right, I got to go to lunch. Like, let's wrap this up. But with this crew, they were so willing to just let it run. So that little scene literally was filmed for three hours. Yeah. That doesn't happen with, with Adam McKay. You're not going to lunch. You are getting that footage. (laughs) Yeah. As much as possible. Like I, every Adam McKay movie that we've done, there's, an abundance of footage no matter what the shot is there's always millions of things and that i love that because there's so many extra like if one line works a little better than another and you have 12 different versions you really get the best of each actor yes no you really do and that's when you really get to pick and choose and that's when you really get where you want to be in terms of this movie there's so much care that goes into it and obviously the the product is just incredible with, oh, yeah. with all these actors. Um, so speaking of actors, though, it actually came down to John Hamm, Thomas Lennon, and Adam Scott for the part of Derek, the jerk brother. Obviously, Adam Scott got the part. We said we were going to mention him. Let's move on to character for character. Winnie, who do you got? Wait, Adam hang on. Scott. Drum roll. Oh, okay, yeah. Reverse <laughs> it. <laughs> Adam, Adam Scott. Scott. Adam Scott, Adam Scott. Yeah. I think that, you know, his character's a dick and I don't appreciate that, but I do appreciate his like his acting ability to play such a dick. He plays a, you know, an asshole so well. Yeah. And especially crazy, because crazy. yeah, it, 
you can kind of tell he's, well, I mean, you can tell he's not, well, you, you want to believe he's not. So in Parks and Rec, we have him as this mm-hmm. grounded person who, you know, nice guy, really just, just a nice guy. And then what, like, that's what he's known for. And then you see him in this movie and he's an absolute dick, but he's so mm-hmm. funny as a dick. He's so believable too, just because he's a great actor. Obviously, <laughs> actors can play different parts. We know that. Yes, but they can. He is so good in this role. There are so many funny lines that either he says or happen because of him. Yeah, like with Catherine Hahn, with with Dale. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of Catherine Hahn, that's who I got to take. So yep. We mentioned the vagina monologue. We mentioned her with her whole thing with Dale. And she's just so funny. When you get a standing ovation for an improv monologue, <laughs> you're doing something. You right. you get my favorite character. Yeah. She's she is very, very funny. Every single line she has, I just want to ball you up and you can walk around in there. <laughs> like all this yeah. really, really vulgar stuff. She she runs in behind him and uh in the bathroom and says like Hey, my name's Jim. Jim, want to suck my dick for money? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> she's was, like, yeah, yeah. That I see. Uh, or I said Robert becomes unhinged, and <laughs> she the whole time. I feel like she's just unhinged. She just plays this really out there character that's mm-hmm. like super vulgar in certain ways. She just absolutely kills it. I love how it goes from these characters who are super uptight in the beginning to just being completely off their rockers at the end. Like, and then we think that those two are crazy. John C. Riley and Will Ferrell yeah. are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But then it comes to the end and we're like, oh, these, these, all of them are crazy. All of them are just <laughs> absurdly crazy. They just do just it better insane. hiding it. Yeah. And that's what the the beautiful philosophical thing is. Don't look down on them because you're also crazy. Exactly. You got to reach for that. But (laughs) I will not apologize for saying that, (laughs) for saying what Talladega Nights was, is a story of redemption and acceptance because it it is is right there in your face. It is. (laughs) I will not apologize. Do not, Um, do not give in. Okay, I will not yeah. give in. I, will, I was like, going to get that off. Similar to Ricky Bobby, do not give in. Do not okay, give in. I will in. not give in. Thank so you. we'll go on to scene for scene here. Uh, again, we were talking about it. The end scene, when you have Will Ferrell and John C. Riley after, you know, they have these real jobs and they're acting straighter than normal. And then <laughs> you have uh, the, the whole dinosaur speech that goes on to uh, them just this beautiful song and all the glimpses from people when they like, it hits them in the heart that like they actually really love them the whole time. So you have Adam Scott, like with the kite and then John C. Riley is this centaur and (laughs) and, um, (laughs) Catherine Hodds, like this weird elf kind of thing. Will Ferrell, um, you have a line cup. We have a line coming up. That it's him and the therapist. Um, that that scene just caps it off so well. It's so funny, and honestly, that's almost one of those things that we're talking about. Obviously, the Catalina wine mixer has become this whole thing. I bet there are like T-shirts that say it, yeah. and I, there definitely oh, are, by the way, be. because well, apparently that it became a thing for, and it it's a kind of a broy thing to do, like bro culture. 
And Adam McKay was even saying how funny it was that they make fun of these things that people make real. they they are making fun of bros in this movie the whole time and then bros took over and now they actually have cat the catalina wine mixer all the time at catalina i mean that's funny yeah i don't think people know that they're either they ignore that they're doing it ironically this whole thing or they know and they just do it anyway i mean it's there's there's no way that the people that do it are self-aware if i mean no granted i haven't looked into it but McKay even said it's like a very bro culture thing to do. Generally, bro culture, they're not that self-aware. Hey, it's let's do this. That's a great idea, actually. <laughs> Yo, that movie's sick. You see his balls in it? Bro, are you kidding? Did you know how much those balls cost, by the way? Ten grand? Ten grand. The, the how? Balls, Why? The, the prosthetic balls, Will Ferrell got them as a gift, gift-wrapped. They cost $10,000. Yeah. I don't know. I Why? think they were just oh, okay. incredibly good prosthetic, but they I don't understand how something like that costs $10,000. Quality, quality ball sack. Yeah. I, I mean, doesn't make sense to me. But my favorite scene was not the ball sack on the drums. It nope. was when they're actually going on all of the job interviews and you get the cameos from Ken Jong, you get the Seth Rogen in there who's like, I just yeah. want people to hang out with all day unless you're like totally crazy. And then he just farts for like 30 seconds straight. He goes, yeah, the tuxedos seem a little weird now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a way to make a fart actually yeah. funny. Exactly. I just love that whole sequence of them trying and then immediately walking in the office and being like, we're going to where to fuck shit up. <laughs> pushing everyone over. That was so and, yeah, yeah. That that whole little sequence is is absolutely hilarious, and we get the cameos that we we know and love. We love those cameos. We're here for the cameos. We're here for the cameos. So we have the scenes out. Let's move on to lines because another this is another fantastic, mm-hmm. fantastic movie for lines as we've talked about. But when you were talking about it in when. Uh, Brennan's sitting in the back, Will Ferrell sitting in the back, mm-hmm. and he's, he's just talking, and he's like basically saying he's not going to stand for any of it. He's, he's not cool with what's happening. He says, Robert better not step to me, because I'll drop that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of good lines, like the I smoked pot with Johnny Hopkins line. That's really funny. Yep. But for some reason, I was watching it. I was watching the scenes, and I was just like, but he said that, I cracked up. That was so good. And... Like, yeah, you said on top of that, the Johnny Hopkins and Sloan Kettering, they were and blazing that Kettering. shit all day. Blazing that shit up all day. <laughs> so good. That, the fact that he's in the backseat makes it better, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sprawled out. I'll drop a motherfucker. I'll drop that motherfucker. For me, it was Adam Scott, when he goes, he's telling the story, and John C. Riley interrupts, and he goes, listen, gang. Don't be mad at Dale for ruining the story and potentially the evening. <laughs> potentially the evening. Is that what he's talking about? The Bonita run? The Bonita fish. <laughs> Is that big? Well, it's a trophy fish. So, yeah, it's big. It's big. And then he looks at it and he's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> the best is when his son goes like, what's up with this guy? He just goes, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. Adam Scott. Shout out, shout out you. Uh, um, it's, you could say it's big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it's big. Mine comes, my next one comes from Will Farrell. So he goes, I think it's when they're about to ask for the bunk beds. And 
uh, Will Ferrell is chosen to to ask for it. So he goes, "Mom, Mr. Doback." He's like, "Don't don't call me Mr. Doback." He goes, "Okay, Mom, Doback." <laughs> That's like just something that's so simple, that's so dumb, that cracked yeah. me up. That because you know, just don't expect it. You expect like, and then that's another thing I think is funny. It tackles like, well, what do you call this person actually? Like, it's yeah. a stepfather kind of thing, but also just a step beyond the weird of being a stepfather. Mm-hmm. And like, even like in laws, what do I call this person? So he just lands on Doback. <laughs> don't call me the last name. Just straight up going, not even going Robert, just Doback. I love it. He, yeah, he didn't yeah, call him, yeah. He's been calling him Mr. Doback throughout the movie, too. That was great. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, for my last line, I'm going with what we mentioned a little earlier with the therapist when his fantasy, Will Ferrell's fantasy, he comes in, barges in as a lumberjack, and he goes, I traveled 500 miles to give you my seed. <laughs> <laughs> She's in a session with somebody, just kicks down the door. <laughs> that's an absolutely great one i forgot Um, about it too and it got me so hard i was just like okay that's the one line i don't think i forgot about it like throughout my entire life for for whatever reason that has been my favorite line of this whole movie for so long i've traveled 500 miles to give you my seed (laughs) i'm pretty sure in our top 10 episode if you go back and listen to it when we talk about stepbrothers that is the only line i mentioned (laughs) really I think so. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, that's, that's a favorite of mine. Um, So there we have it. We have the ending of the common man trilogy of we, we did Anchorman and Anchorman two, and we Mm -hmm. snuck in Talladega nights in there, but we also gifted the people (laughs) stepbrothers. I just feel like ridiculous, but I even sprinkle on top. We gifted you a little sprinkle on top. So this was our Will Ferrell and John C. Riley appreciation episode. Mm-hmm. We just did a lot of Ferrell, McKay, Apatow. So maybe we'll take a step away from that for a little. Mm-hmm. This last two episodes, I feel like we went through a journey. We talked about all of them. Do you have any last words for this trilogy, for this John C. Riley will Ferrell duo? I, it, I think it's one of the best comedic duos of all time. And I think we need another. Inst- wow. I think we need another installment. I think that that's. So unfortunately there was another installment. I know we don't speak of it. Don't speak. Of yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Uh, it's not happening anymore. They're not going to get back together. Why not? Because, the, because of that okay. movie. So no, no, no. the movie we're talking about is Holmes and Watson and I didn't watch it, but Same apparently time. it's, it's pretty bad. Okay. Apparently it's not great. But- I'm going to cite angels in the outfield here. It could happen. It could happen. That's it all. absolutely could. That's so all. we'll hope for it. We absolutely yep. will hope for it. Not to, not to leave this on a negative note. I wanted to leave the people on a positive note. Oh, I'm Let's, saying I'm so glad that we'll leave it on a hopeful note. Exactly. We're hopeful that we get to, you know, experience these two working with each other again. Oh, they're, they're both still at the top of their game. Well, you oh, don't yeah. really leave that game once you're up there. No. So, we are hopeful for it. This, these three movies that we did the last episodes are fantastic. You can tell they have a soft spot in our hearts because the time that we grew up in, that these were the comedies to love. And these were the comedies that we have loved. So next week, though, we have I Love You, Man, one that Winnie hasn't seen before. So 
as with everyone, there are a few blind spots in all of our viewing history. So we're going to start doing some where aren't there aren't the classics. They aren't the, well, I mean, I think I love you, man is a classic, but there are going to be some that it's a first impression. So I mm-hmm. think that could be good. So you're going to have me on the rewatch. You're going to have Winnie on the first impression yep. and we'll still go through the same cadence. It'll be really good. If you are still listening, thank you so much. We love the support please drop us a comment or email sincerely unqualified at gmail.com. If you don't have social and Mm -hmm. you just want to let us know if you were listening all the way up till the end, I doubt many people have. Tell me if you heard me say that Steven Spielberg said he came. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's what you'll say. We heard it. Drop it, drop it as a comment. If you see one of our clips, comment Steven Spielberg just came. (laughs) Because well, he's gonna drop that comment. Because yeah, Stephen, yeah. Stephen, well, we, we're up. happy to have you on. We're happy you to heard, have you on. You heard our email. <laughs> um, let's just wrap it up here, though. We'll see everyone next week. Until then, I'm Kevin. I'm Winnie. I'm not even mad that mine's not movie quality. <laughs>